Well, what are some things that are just meant to go together? I think of some of my favorite foods, uh, French fries and ketchup. Gosh, love the saltiness with the savory of, of the ketchup. My one of my favorite breakfast foods, biscuits and gravy. Uh, those of you who are cookie lovers, cookies and milk, Oreos and milk. Also thinking of, of, of people, relationships, uh, dynamic duos that are just meant to be together. Think of Ross and Rachel, Han and Chewy, Frodo and Sam. Well, this morning... We're starting a series called Three Peas in a Pod, and we're going to look at some dynamic duos that should be inseparable to our walk with Jesus. The, the heartbeat behind this series comes from Matthew 20, 26 through 28, which also happens to be our memory verse, which on your way in or out, you can grab this little handy memory verse card. We'd love for you to take it and memorize uh, over the next couple, couple weeks. Um, it's also on the app along with the sermon notes. You can follow along there. But Matthew 20 re- reads this. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. See, great, uh, greatness in the kingdom of God is ultimately looks like sacrificial self, uh, sorry, sacrificial service and love. And that's modeled for us ultimately in the life of Jesus. And this series asks, what were the things that, that made Jesus into the kind of man, the, 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 the patterns and the rhythms that allowed him to be someone who was able to be obedient to, unto death, even death on a cross for us? If, if we proclaim him as, as rabbi, as teacher, as Lord, then we want to follow him. Ultimately, it means taking on Wisdom from his lifestyle and not just what he believed. If, if, if he was truly fully human and he is our Lord, then we have something to learn from the way that he lived life on this earth. If we want to experience his life, we must adopt his lifestyle. And that's what this series is about. Uh, this week we're talking about prayer, next week possessions, and the week three we're going to talk about personal study. These are not meant to be comprehensive of all the things that would help us in our walk, but these are some foundational pillars. So we're going to get rolling tonight with prayer. Prayer is, is typically seen as a, as a spiritual kind of thing, it's a, but it's an act that's familiar to most people, even those who, who may not um, be believers or, or, or spiritual. When, when things get hard, when, when wars begin or, or people are dying, and there's just something in us that, that cries out, that, that wants to, to, to cry out to a higher power for help. And before we go any further this morning, for us as those who follow Jesus as his disciples, we, we want to ask the question, what is prayer? How do we define it as Christians? Why is it important? And, and at its most basic level, prayer is talking with God. Talking with God. Now, notice I didn't say it's talking to God or at God. It's a dialogue. It's a back and forth conversation. It's a relationship. Dallas Willard, one of my favorite theologians, puts it this way, that, that prayer is simply talking to God about what we are doing together. Talking to God about what we are doing 
together. What do we do with our loved ones, with our friends, with our family? We, we, we have a conversation. We, we want to experience life with them. We want to understand them and grow in love for them. And prayer is no difference. The, the end goal of prayer is a life with God. We get to participate in his kingdom reality. In the bigger picture of the story, we get to enter into and partner with his purposes for this world. The, the power and the purposes of prayer are found in the presence of God. In the presence of God. Pastor John Mark Homer out in, uh, in Portland says this about uh, the idea of being with God. The first and primary goal of our discipleship, of our apprenticeship to Jesus is to be in constant communion with and connection to the Spirit. In other words, the foundation of prayer is being present with God. Wherever we focus our attention ends up determining our destination. What we behold is who we will become. And so the invitation in prayer is to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith in order to behold the goodness of God to become more like him and partner with him in what he's doing all around us and bringing his kingdom. But this is really, really hard oftentimes in this particular Moment. If, if, if I were to ask us in this room, like show of hands, how many of you would, would want to be a better at prayer, have a better prayer life? My, my hunch, my guess is that most of us would raise our hands. We want to be closer to God. We want to be people of prayer. But, but often it's, we don't know how to make it a priority. And I include myself in that statement. And so this morning as we... Uh, We're going to look at the prayer life of one of the most inspiring characters in in the Old Testament. We're going to sit at the feet of Scripture and see what we can learn together. Before we jump in, though, I want to remind us that that one of our values here at first is is growing faith, that we would be prayerfully dependent and, and, and biblically saturated. And, and for those of you who are just like, you know, I, I, need, a, I need a framework, I, I need, you know, what does it look like to pray? We've used this, this PRAY acronym that we're going to throw on the screen right now in the past. And so this, this might be your takeaway for today, this idea of, of praise, repent, ask, and yield. That when we come to God in prayer, these are the four kinds of things that we could, we could do that we're asking, God, what, what can I be thankful for? What, can, what do I need forgiveness for? Confess. What do I need to ask you about that I see the needs around me, the hurts of the world, and then how can I surrender, yield my life more fully to you? And that's the framework we've used in the past. And so if it's helpful, great. If not, no worries. The, the important thing about prayer is just to simply do it. And so let's dive in this morning. If you've got your Bibles or your phones, you want to uh, turn to our passage. We're going to be in Daniel 6 today. We're going to be looking at a man named Daniel. He was a, a, a Jewish exile. He, he grew up in Israel, in Judah, but then um, the Babylonians came in and, and conquered uh, the, his, his region, and, and he, he was taken into exile. See, over the course of time, God's people at times were obedient, but oftentimes they were disobedient and God handed them over and, uh, in judgment and discipline to the Babylonians. And one of their practices was to take the young men of their conquered nation into their culture to, to assimilate them, to make them more like the culture. And Daniel was one of these young men. When we pick up this passage in, in, in chapter uh, 6, 
He had become a, a man of devotion to God, though a man, a man of prayer. Who had, he had a knack for interpreting dreams. He had served Babylon faithfully for, for decades. Um, and at this particular moment, the Persians had just come in and conquered Babylon. And so there was a new king, King Darius, on the throne. And that's where we're going to pick up chapter 6, verse 4. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. And so we see Daniel here. He's killing it in his job. He's, he's a man of, of great success, of reputation. And, and, and those who are underneath him and alongside him are getting a little bit jealous of his success. And they're, they're trying to find something that, that uh, they can get, some dirt on him, maybe get him demoted. Have you ever been in a situation at your job or in your life where you've been super successful and the people around you are starting to get a little bit jealous of your success? Or maybe you're on the other side of things and you're seeing someone who has this, all this success out of nowhere. You're not sure why and you're, you're just, man, I wish I was like them. And you start having thoughts, man, if I could only have that job. Our culture is so success driven that oftentimes people will do whatever it takes to climb the ladder. What's interesting here, though, is that they can't find anything wrong with him unless it had something to do with Daniel's devotion to God. His devotion to God is what set him apart. And so this morning we want to ask, what, what was it that made Daniel this man of devotion? What, what set him apart? What, what helped him thrive and be successful in a foreign land that was so much different than the culture he grew up in? And so we continue in verse 6. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now your majesty issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. And so these men, these leaders, they, they start scheming and they, they go to the king and they, they leave Daniel behind. And he's like, man, you're such a great king. And we have this brilliant idea that, you know, for the next month, that instead of anyone praying to anyone else or any God or any other, just pray to you. And we should, we should make it a law, just set, set it apart. And King Darius is like, man, that's, that's a great idea. Let's do that. But they were doing it knowing that they would trap Daniel in his devotion to his God, he would be thrown to the lions. Let's, let's read on and see how Daniel responded in verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knee and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. See, when Daniel heard about the plot against him, about this 
this moment of crisis. He went and did the exact thing that would get him into trouble. He went home and prayed. He went straight to God for help. What do you do in times of trouble, of stress, of challenge? Where do you turn? I know the temptation for me is to maybe enjoy life a little bit more, watch a little bit more TV or or, or movies, be a little less disciplined in what I, I eat, spend more time on the internet playing games, anything to distract and numb myself from having to deal with whatever the hard reality of life is. What do you turn to in these moments? And how can we learn together to be the kind of people this morning who would turn to God in prayer like Daniel? See, Daniel knew exactly what was going to happen to him. He went to prayer and he knew he would be found and thrown to the lions. But he had become the kind of person that there was no other proper response. The only thing he could do was to turn to God. The text says that he got down on his knees and prayed three times a day just as he had done before. You see, this was a rhythm of life with God. This was something he had been living for a long time. He structured his whole life in Babylon off of this rhythm of of, of prayer and presence to the living God. What are the things you, we structure our lives around? Maybe it's around your family or your friends or or your work, your hobbies, sports teams, favorite TV shows. Maybe it's your kids' activities. What are the things that you make space for in your life? And how could we learn to make space for God like Daniel? You see, when, when we aren't prioritizing prayer, we aren't prioritizing God. And this is often a shame because when we don't prioritize God, we miss out on all the things he wants to do in and through and around us. Many of us know the rest of the story of Daniel. He's caught. He's found out. He's thrown in the lion's den. But God shuts the mouth of the lions. He survives the night. And the leaders who had set all this up get thrown in instead and... Because of Daniel's faithfulness, he's delivered. And this isn't directly in the text, and we can't know for sure, but I have a hunch that if Daniel was not the man of prayer that he was, then the the mouth of the lions would not have shut, and he would not have made it through the night. And so like I said, I think we want this kind of life. We want this kind of intimacy, this closeness to God, but... It's not always easy. And so for the next few minutes, I want to take us through three questions you might have about uh, this this context of prayer. And then we're going to look at uh, four roadblocks, four hesitations you might have in in prayer. And so the first question you might be asking is, is what about scripture? Isn't that as important as prayer? And I would to that I would say amen it is. But if we come to scripture without attending to the presence of God, we can easily miss what God has for us in the text. 
We often treat the Bible as a, as a science textbook or a history textbook. We come and we just learn all about it and we seek to understand it, but ultimately to, be, to master it, that we would master the text. But the goal of engaging the word is not to master it, but to be mastered by it. It's, it's possible to know scripture, but to not know God. It's possible to be in the word, but for the word to not be in you. And prayer is the primary bridge towards the goal of knowing Christ in Scripture. But we'll be talking about Scripture in two weeks, so you can come back then. Check that out. Second question you might be asking about this passage, and this is one of my favorite questions, is, is we, we've been sitting with, with Daniel, but what about Jesus? What about the life of Jesus? How did Jesus live? And, and Jesus was a man of prayer. We, we often see that he went off to lonely places to be with the Father and pray. He prayed before his baptism. He prayed for 40 days and fasted for 40 days after his baptism. He prayed for discernment before he chose the 12 apostles. He prayed before and after miracles. He prayed in Gethsemane and he prayed for forgiveness for us on the cross. Jesus was a man saturated in a life of prayer. If we desire to be like Jesus, then we need to become people of prayer. If our Lord Jesus, fully human, needed to pray, knew how to pray, how much more so do we need to follow in his footsteps, learning to be people of prayer? Last question you might, might be thinking through asking might say, Samuel, I, I didn't grow up in Babylon. So what would it look like today? And true, we didn't grow up in the ancient empire of Babylon or Persia or Rome, but we, we do live in a different kind of empire, something that David Kinnaman in his book, Faith for Exiles, calls digital Babylon. Ever since the invention of the internet and probably more importantly the, the smartphone, when we live our days with, with the world at our fingertips, that every moment we, we wake up and, and before we go to bed, we, we encounter, we have access to a, a pluralistic culture with countless different ideas about how we should live, what she, we should believe, that, that we have an overwhelming array of choices, of, of worldviews, religions, stances. They're all trying to shape us and to be a certain kind of person, to buy a certain kind of thing, to look a certain kind of way. And we're shaped explicitly on the surface and then underneath subconsciously. And this is similar to what Daniel would have faced in his Babylon. We're going to spend the next few minutes, we're going to throw a graphic up on the screen. This is going to be, be, a, be a depiction of, of a study that the Barna Research Group did um, measuring this, the amount of screen time that people aged 15 to 23 spend compared to their total amount of content. And so if you look with me, this, this, this darker green area, this is the total number of, of hours spent in a year on screens for people ages 15 to 23. We're going to ignore the little black square over here for this morning, but this other, this other lighter greenish um, area right there, that's the total number of hours of spiritual content that someone takes in over the course of a year. And that, that's not just on screens, that's coming to church, that's going to, to youth group or Bible study, listening to a podcast, having a spiritual conversation. 
And what's significant is that in this larger area of screen time, it's 2,767 hours, which is approximately 115 days, which is almost a third of a year spent on a screen. As compared to 291 total hours of spiritual content taken in over the course of a year. That's 10 times more presence to this thing called digital Babylon, this thing that's influencing us without even realizing it. There are multi-billion dollar corporations who are spending millions on R&D and marketing just to figure out how to get our attention. It's this new thing called the attention economy. That in order to get your money, I need to get your attention. And that's what that's all about. And for, for those of you who are like, wow, these young people, you know, they're on their phones too much. Recent studies have said that the average American adult spends seven hours a day on a screen, which is only about 200 hours less than what this picture shows. And so this is the reality for all of us. I think some of you probably feel it. You're like, yeah, that's me. Just like Daniel, we wake up and we are tempted to be swayed and influenced knowingly and unknowingly by this thing called digital Babylon. And I don't share this to condemn the use of screens or to make you feel guilty or feel bad. I share this to make us aware of the water that we're swimming in. That this is an influence that we do have a parallel with Daniel's life, that we do live in a kind of Babylon. And if we're not intentional with our faith, we'll be swept away by the newest ideology and the distractions of our culture. And like Jesus and Daniel, prayer must be our foundation if our faith is to flourish. I also don't share this to make us afraid of the culture, to be like, oh, I need to run away. Fear is never the answer in the kingdom of God. We are called to not to a posture of fear, but a posture of faithfulness rooted in prayer. The, the answer is never escapism, but faithfulness and presence to God in the midst of all of our lives. So that's a lot, a lot to take in. But there's more. There's these roadblocks, these hesitations, these, these thoughts that come into our mind that, that may hinder us. And so we're going to walk through four more things. The first one is the idea of, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time. That's kind of a, a direct parallel to what we just shared, that we have so many hours a day of spending with different kinds of things, but I don't have enough time. Like, I want to be a person of prayer, but, but I don't have time to pray three times a day like Daniel. And we're all busy. We all have seasons of craziness, but we have to figure out how to prioritize prayer. So, so if that's you and you find yourself, man, I just don't have enough time, I think we, those of us who, who have that problem need to ask the question in humility, what am I willing to sacrifice in order to make time for prayer in my daily life? Will I be willing to rearrange my life, to be with Jesus? And others of us in that category may just need to be encouraged to be creative. Pray for an imagination in prayer. There are endless opportunities to pray 
where we're already living our lives. One might say, pray where you live, work, and play. Pray at meals, like is fairly common, but also pray when you wake up in the morning and at night or throughout your day, leverage your digital devices to remind you to pray. Pray when you're going on a walk. Uh, Pray with your neighbors. Pray whenever it comes to mind. Pray when you go working out. Pray on your commute to work. Get creative. God is everywhere, and you can talk to him anywhere. The second roadblock or hesitation thought you might have is, I'm not sure that prayer actually works. You know, this has been something that, that, that I've wrestled with. Like we all, we, we're trained to be skeptical of anything in, in our culture that's even remotely supernatural, that can't be measured or, or proven, and prayer tends to fall into that, that category. We all have this atheist or agnostic in our head being like, man, all, you're just wasting air. Nothing's really happening. Like, are these words I'm praying? Like, is anyone actually listening to this? actually work and for those of us who who, who wrestle with that my encouragement is is to keep going keep being intentional in prayer keep prioritizing prayer Daniel was in his 80s when he faced the lion's den and it was his entire life of prayer three times a day that made him into the man that could Be faithful in such a crisis as that. The way God often works in our lives is to bring the miracle after long periods of mundane, boring obedience. It's not always amazing. Like Aaron said, you know, know, the sunlight's perfect and you got your coffee. It's, It's not always like that. I also want to encourage us who, who, who doubt the power of prayer is that we live in a story. We, if we follow Jesus, we believe in the overarching narrative of Scripture. We're a part of something where prayer makes a difference. It actually changes things. And it, it, it has the power to change history. And we see this all over Scripture on almost every page and every story that, that when we pray to God, things change. He comes in and breaks in and we get to partner with him that his will and his way would be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's an exciting thing to be a part of. The third hesitation or roadblock you might have is, Samuel, I don't know how to pray. I just don't know how to do it. No one's ever taught me. I've, I read it on the pages you're saying it right now, but I, I don't know how. And if that's you, I want to encourage you. You're not alone. We have all been there. Everyone has been a beginner in prayer at some point in time. And the people that I look up to the most, the most mature uh, disciples of Jesus that, that, that I love to sit at their feet, they're the ones who are saying, you are always a beginner at prayer. You are always a beginner at prayer. And so you're in good company this morning if that happens to be you. And I would encourage you to just start small. Just have a conversation with God as if he's a friend because he is. So whenever it comes to mind, talk to him as, as if you're a friend. Read through the Psalms and look at all the level of honesty that David and the other writers of the Psalms have. That, I mean, it's brutal. And it's, it's like, man, can you say it to God? Yes, you can. In relationship to him, he wants to hear your heart. For those of you a little more need a little more structure, you might pick out a a phrase or an idea from Scripture and and just pray that throughout your day. 
Things like, Lord, have mercy on me. God, give me strength. Father, remind me who I am. Jesus, help me to walk in your way. Spirit, help me to see the way that you see others. And just say those throughout the day. We also hear at first, we, we, we love prayer, we prioritize prayer. And so we have this thing called a prayer team. We actually had this last Tuesday at their Urbana location. And once a month, the third Tuesday of the month, which is going to be April 19th, we, we gather and anyone who wants to can come and pray. And there's people who've been praying for decades and there have been people who are, have not been praying quite so long. And so you can come and join us and we can learn from one another as we learn to pray and be people of prayer. The last hesitation or roadblock you might be thinking is, man, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. For some of you, you, your past, your mistakes, the things you've done, the ways in which you've lived has created just a a chasm of shame that feels like you cannot cross and that God's on the other side and he would never want to be with me in prayer. You think, I'm not worthy of God's love. I'm not good enough to be with him. I I know in my mind that God loves me, but I don't feel like he even likes me. And you need to hear that that is a lie from the enemy this morning. You are one in whom Christ dwells and delights, delights in you. He delights in you this morning. And he proved it by going to the cross to reveal how great the love of God is for each and every one of us, that he wants to be in relationship to us, to know us, to communicate, to be in conversation with us. And if you don't know this God this morning, he does want to know you. And I believe for all of us, those who who know Christ and those who do not, that that Jesus is inviting us into a deeper way of living, a deeper way of life, of prayer with him. And he has a, a step of obedience for each of us. He's always inviting. You read the gospels and he's always inviting and he's always inviting. And he's okay when people walk away, but he's always inviting them into deeper life. And he's inviting us this morning into prayer. The place where the the power and the purpose and the peace and the pleasure of God rests on us in his presence. It's the place where he, he delivers us from the emptiness of religion, leads us into a relationship with himself for the sake of the restoration of the world. There is no more rewarding act than to enter into prayer with God to take that next small step of obedience, whatever it might be for you. Do you want to experience this life today? And if so, what is your next step? In what ways is Jesus inviting you to take that that next step, a small little step of obedience? Will you prioritize the power and the purpose of God in your life? Will you experience his peace and his pleasure over you? If you choose to go on this adventure of life with God, of prayer with God, I promise you that you will never regret it. It will be one of the greatest decisions that you have all ever made. 
So let, let me pray over you this morning that we would become people of prayer. Jesus, you have taught us to pray. Our Father, our Father, we serve you as a God who loves us, as his children. And we ask this morning that you would prompt us, that you would set aside shame and condemnation, that you would just invite us into deeper life together. That you would make clear what our next step of obedience is with you, that we would walk in your way, that we might experience your life. Pray for this, this body of believers, this family we call first, that, that we would become people who are truly and wholly dependent on you in prayer, that you would work mighty things through in and through us because of the kind of praying people that we are as individuals and a community, that we would, out of that abiding life of prayer with you, that you would build your kingdom in Champaign-Urbana as it is in heaven and in our hearts. We love you. May it be so. pray these things in your name. Amen.